Hey everyone, this is Tim Harris. I'm the pastor of Woodburn Baptist Church and this is our weekly podcast. Hope it encourages you. Hope it makes you want to be closer to Jesus and more like him. Hope you enjoy this sermon. And if you want to know more about us, find us online at woodburnbaptist.org. Good morning, everybody. Y'all good? Isn't it good? Yeah, beautiful, beautiful Sunday. Open your Bibles to Deuteronomy chapter 6. So last Sunday, Carl Salinger leaned up to the lady in the pew in front of him in church and said to the lady, uh, how long has the pastor had that mustache? <laughs> and the lady said, too long. Uh, um, so that, you know, that was my sister. Thank you, sister. That was, that was awesome. Uh, my own flesh and blood. Yeah, nothing like a mustache to divide people. No, nobody's indifferent. Nobody has no opinion. They're either like, man, yes, or like, ugh. Uh, but I got a lot of guys coming up to me on the side going, Pastor Tim, you know, I, I wish I could do that. My wife will let me do that, you know. So let me just say to you guys, um, if we had to get our wife's permission to do awesome things, we'd never do anything awesome. So if, 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 if you're thinking, you know, yeah, I wonder what I would look like, just do it, just do it. Um, she'll kiss you on the forehead. It'll be okay, you know. Um, Deuteronomy chapter 6. What do you think makes a good church? What makes a church healthy? What makes a church worth being a part of? What makes a good church? Um, I'm sure we'd all say some of the same things. You want friendly people. You want loving people, genuinely loving people, of course. Uh, missions, I don't think anybody wants to be a part of just some kind of Sunday show. Everybody wants to think that we're a part of something bigger, that we're doing something important for the world in Jesus' name. We're God's people. We want to follow him. We want to do something. We want to serve him. I think that's important. Uh, leadership, uh, my leadership, of course, but um, we have leaders in every corner of this church, all kinds of teachers, all kinds of uh, committee folks, all kinds of folks making big decisions with the resources God's given us. We need good leaders, and, uh, and God's always blessed us with good leaders. Um, the list could go on and on. The, the, the interesting thing is, I, I think we work toward all of that. We're not perfect, but I, but I think we move toward all of those things. And on some Sundays, it may all line up, and we may actually have all those things on one good week. But, um, but I just want to just call to your attention the fact that we can have all of those things and still not be the church that Christ has called us to be. It can still come out flat. And if you're wondering what the missing piece is, what is the piece that connects everything else together, I just want you to understand it's, it's commitment. Nothing else matters as much as your total commitment to Christ. Mine too, mine too. Not one of us can do this by ourselves. We have to have each other, but we have to meet each other in the context of this total commitment to Christ. Now, I bring this up now because I feel like coming out of COVID and now coming out of the last two years, I feel like commitment has fallen on hard times. Not just in churches, but everywhere you go. You walk into a restaurant, they don't have employees. You know, they shut early. They're not open on Monday because there aren't enough staff. I mean, people are not committed to their jobs anymore, not committed to work. And some of you see that. Some of you experience that at work every day. People aren't the same now. Uh, families are really struggling. People don't take their family commitments as importantly as they should. And obviously churches are struggling. The thing I continue to read is that 
people came back from COVID. They came back to church eventually, but they didn't come back to serve. They didn't come back to actually be involved, that people are just now uh, warming pews, you know, for lack of a better word. I'm not saying that that has happened here, but I want us to take uh, uh, several Sundays and just talk about what commitment is and what it means in my life and in your life. And for that, we look to Deuteronomy chapter 6. This is the big commitment chapter, I think. It's the fundamental principles here of commitment to the Lord. And it comes in the book of Deuteronomy as God's people are about to step into the promised land. And in that moment of transition, these are the words in which the people of God are are challenged to step into the future with God. And of course, that future will demand a strong commitment. So here we go. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4. Let's talk about commitment. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4. Listen, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. And you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your strength. And you must commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these commands that I'm giving you today. Repeat them again and again to your children. Talk about them when you're at home, when you're on the road, when you're going to bed. When you're getting up, tie them to your hands. Wear them on your forehead as reminders. Write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. The Lord your God will soon bring you into the land he swore to give you when he made a vow to your ancestors, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It is a land with large, prosperous cities that you did not build The houses will be richly stocked with goods that you did not produce. You will draw water from cisterns you did not dig, and you will eat from vineyards and olive trees you did not plant. When you have eaten your fill in this land, be careful not to forget the Lord who rescued you from slavery in the land of Egypt. You must fear the Lord your God and serve him. When you take an oath, you must use only his name. Now verse 20, skip forward, verse 20. In the future, your children will ask you, what is the meaning of these laws, decrees, and regulations that the Lord our God has commanded us to obey? And then you must tell them, we were Pharaoh's slaves in Egypt, but the Lord brought us out of Egypt with his strong hand. The Lord did miraculous signs and wonders before our eyes, dealing terrifying blows against Egypt and Pharaoh and all his people. He brought us out of Egypt so that he could give us this land he had sworn to give our ancestors. And the Lord, our God, commanded us to obey all these decrees and to fear him so he can continue to bless us and preserve our lives as he has done to this day. For we will be counted as righteous when we obey all the commands the Lord our God has given us. It's the word of the Lord. So I've been thinking about this stuff. I've been thinking about life and everything in life and just wondering, is there like one thing, like there's so many things, but is there one thing that you could say everything else is all about? Is there like one thing that connects everything else? I've asked that question and I've asked it with real seriousness. And then one day it dawned on me, I've heard it. I've heard something. I've heard a promise that, that, that something was what everything else was all about. And then I remembered 
kids roller skating. And we were roller skating and they cleared the floor and then they said, everybody who wants to do the hokey pokey, come out to the floor. And so we go out on our skates and we do the hokey pokey. Do you remember the hokey pokey? The hokey pokey is simple. You put your right foot in, you put your right foot out, you put your right foot in, you shake it all about. Do you remember all of this? And you would put things in and take things out. And then the song would say over and over and over. That's what it's all about. And I started just thinking, what? What? What's it all about? I mean, the song seems to promise to tell you what it's all about, but then you're just putting stuff in and taking stuff out and shaking it all about, but you never really find out what's it all about. You have to go all the way to the end. You have to put things in and take things out and shake them all the way to the end. Stephen, take us to the end. Listen, this is what it's all about. It was always there. Whole self, y'all. Whole self. Do you hear that? It's what it's all about. It's what it was always all about. You have to put your whole self in. Do you understand something? That the secret to everything is to give your whole self. It's what it's all about. You've always been told, and now I'm telling you, this is what it's all about. You have to put your whole self in. It's called commitment. The secret to everything is to give your whole self. It's called commitment. Can we talk about commitment? I, I'm really not making any kind of joke. I believe that commitment is the, the centerpiece, the, the keystone. It, it, it is honestly what everything depends upon when it comes to human life. We can't have anything together if we don't have commitment. Your life right now is the sum of all the commitments that you have made and those that have come before you. In many ways, my life is impacted by the commitments of people even before me, my parents, my grandparents. You understand, commitment is really what it's all about. It is the very center of society. We can't do anything. If we can't count on each other's word, if we can't count on each other's commitment. So truly, commitment is, is, is what it's all about. And as I say, my fear is that in this present moment in our lives, this present moment in our culture, commitment is really struggling. The level of commitment is low, and people have become very commitment-averse and while that may characterize the people in the world, we're not the people in the world. I want to call you back to what it's all about. Okay, let's talk about commitment. Now, a couple of things. Let's just make some definitions. Simply put, a commitment is a promise to do something. It's a promise to do something. But let me say it this way. A commitment is a promise that sets your priorities, once you begin to make a commitment, once you've made a commitment or you've made a sum of commitments, understand now your priorities are established. Now, some of us would say, well, Pastor Tim, I, I, I want to make my commitments based on my priorities, but I understand what you're saying, but I'm telling you, if a commitment is genuine, if a commitment is real, you now have a priority. 
Once you say, I will do this, I will be there, you can count on me, then you have established for yourself a priority. And if commitment matters to you, then understand that 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 priority is established now. If I say, I'm coming to your house for dinner tomorrow night, then understand that that's a commitment. I'm, I'm coming to your house. And so now I have that priority. I'm gonna be at your house. I can't get to tomorrow and not come, not show up. You know, a commitment is a promise that sets your priorities. Now, let's keep going. A commitment is made in the present, but kept in the future. Now, that's very, I know, it's like, Pastor Tim, that's, that's the most obvious thing ever. But let Captain Obvious explain this to you, because this is important. It's that element of time. The fact that a commitment is always made in the present, but I'm going to have to keep it in the future. And I don't know about the future. You don't ever know about the future. So I'm saying, I'm going to come to your house tomorrow night for dinner, but I don't know that I won't get a better offer. I'm just being real. What if I get a better offer, you know, then all of a sudden, I didn't know about, I didn't know that I could have done that when I told you I was coming to your house, you know. So sometimes that's where commitments kind of begin to, you know, to hang because you don't always know the circumstances under which you're going to have to keep your commitment. You know, what if tomorrow comes and I don't even feel like coming to your house? What if I don't feel like it? Well, I didn't promise anything about how I was going to feel. Because I can't always control how I feel. I always feel like doing things that I'm committed to do. And yet I follow through on commitments because it's not about feelings. Commitments aren't about feelings. I I can't make a promise about feelings because I don't know how I'm going to feel. That's the thing about commitments. I'm making them in the present. I don't know what the future circumstances will be. I don't know how everything's going to turn out. We don't, Lord, we don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. It could snow, you know? We have no idea, but this is exactly why commitments matter. You, you can't control the future. You can't control circumstances. You can't control your feelings. So a commitment comes down to me making a promise about the one thing I can control, and that's myself. So I'm not telling you I won't feel like eating supper with you. I'm not, I'm not telling you that I won't have a better offer. All I'm telling you is I will be there. Understand? And that's what makes society possible. It's what makes everything possible. Just that commitments that we make to one another and and it makes certain things predictable. We can't predict everything, but if you and I are people of commitment, we can predict what we'll do because I've made you a promise about what I'm gonna do. Does that make sense? So this is the difficulty. Commitments are made in the present, kept in the future. We're talking about that element of time. And time is not kind to commitments. You understand what I'm saying? Time is not always kind to commitments. One of my favorite verses in the Psalms is that chapter where it talks about who can come into the house of God, who can come into God's presence, who can stand in his holiness. And it goes through the long list, people with clean hands and pure hearts and, you know, don't bow down to idols. But there's this little verse stuck in there that says, and the person who keeps a promise even when it hurts. The person who keeps a promise even when it hurts. You understand that keeping a promise when it hurts, like that's when promises count. If you're only keeping a promise when it all feels good to you, then you're not committed to anything but yourself. You're committed to whatever feels good to you, and that's not any kind of commitment at all. 
But the person who can keep a promise, the person who can walk by their commitments, even when there's a price to be paid and you did not see that coming, but yet you made a promise, so you will make good on your promise. Understand, time is not always kind to promises. That's all I'm telling you. You don't always know what it means to keep your promise, to honor your commitment, but that's what commitments do. You make a promise in the present that you're going to have to keep in the future. Does that make sense? One more thing. A, a commitment gives rise to obligations. See, this is sounding less fun the more I talk, isn't it? It gives rise to obligations. And honestly, a lot of us, we don't like that feeling of being obligated. You know what I mean? We don't like that feeling of being tied down. You know, we don't like obligations. So a lot of us, that's kind of our goal. Because I want to live our life so that we always keep our options open. Always maintain our personal freedom because we don't want to get stuck having to do something that we don't want to do. We don't, we don't want to be tied down to some sort of commitment we made when we didn't know. You understand? And so this is why a lot of people, especially these days, a lot of people are avoiding commitments for the simple reason they don't want obligations. I have to do something I don't want to do. I totally get this. Um, this is why when I walk in a store, like I'm shopping, and I don't like shopping. I hate shopping. But one of the things I really don't like about shopping is when, like, the sales lady comes up and says, can I help you? Like, no, I don't want her help. Because I know what happens, and God bless all of you who work in retail. I know I'm your nightmare, but, but if I'm in your store and you offer to help me, the answer is no, because I know what's about to happen if you help me. I'm going to get stuck with you. You know, like I'm in your store, but I want to preserve my freedom to walk out that door whenever I want to, and if I'm dealing with a salesperson, I can't just walk out anymore. I feel stuck. I get obligated. You know, so when the sales lady says, can I help you find something? I'm not going to tell her what I'm looking for because if I give her that, she's got me. So I'm not going to say, um, yeah, as a matter of fact, I'm, I'm here to buy a, a bracelet for my wife. I ain't saying that. If I tell her that, what's going to happen? She's going to drag me down to some big case full of jewelry, like million-dollar jewelry. She's going to be showing me diamonds. She's going to be showing me million-dollar gold chains. And, and did I say I was buying a bracelet for Beyonce? I'm here to buy a bracelet for my wife, Casey, and nothing that we're going to get is in that case of diamonds. You know what I'm saying? If I tell her what I'm looking for, then all of a sudden I'm obligated. I can't just walk out the door when I'm out of the mood. So that is why when the salesperson says, may I help you, what do I say? I'm just looking. These are magical words. Just looking. Just looking. Just looking is actually like code for what? Leave me alone. I'm looking. I'm looking. If I find something, I may or may not tell you. But I'm just looking, and I'm just looking. And that means I can look, and when I'm done looking, I can walk out that door like I planned. You know, you know what I'm saying? It, it's that avoidance of obligation. I, I point this out to you because I feel like a lot of people live their whole life with that just looking kind of attitude. 
You know, I'm, I'm not going to give you any, I'm not going to give you enough of, of what I'm thinking so that I'm actually tied to you or have an obligation to you. I'm not going to make any promises to you because I don't know that I'll keep any promises. To you. you know, you got people like that in your life? Yeah, ever had employees like that? I, I mean, it's very, very difficult, but this is the world in which we live. People don't like to feel obligated, and for that reason, we don't make a lot of commitments. But I just want to bring the question back to you. What if commitment is actually what it's all about? What if all of the best things in life only come after you have put your whole self into it? What if you'll never be satisfied at work as long as you continue to put one foot in and then take one foot out? What if you'll never, ever find fulfillment in a relationship as long as you're a person who can't make a promise and keep it? What if there's actually not much in life you can ever experience with fulfillment at all as long as you're avoiding the obligation that comes with commitment? As a matter of fact, what if... What if commitment's kind of inevitable? And I sort of feel like it is. I know some people think, Pastor, I don't make any commitments. I'm not making any promises to anybody. I'm just living for myself. Well, in that instance, I think that you're totally committed to yourself. I guess what I'm saying is, I think one way or the other, we're eventually going to give ourselves to something. And those of us who think, I'm not going to give myself to nothing, well, there you go. That's what you just did with it. And, and you gave your whole self to nothing, and you're going to reap the life that comes from that. So I'm not sure that commitment is actually something that you're not going to do. I have a feeling you're going to give yourself to something. And that's why Deuteronomy 6 becomes so important, because honestly, this reminds us that there's really only one person, only one thing that is worthy of giving your whole life to, and that is the Lord. It's the Lord. You're saying, Pastor Tim, that's, that's something a preacher would say. Of course a preacher's going to say, give yourself to God but what if that's not just something preachers say? What if this is the truest thing in the world? What if, what if that commitment to the Lord, what if your spiritual commitment to God really is the very thing upon which everything else in your life is to be built? What if this really is the essential part, the, the missing piece? Well, what if your spiritual commitment to God is the very well from which your whole life is supposed to spring? I think that's why the scripture says, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength. You must commit yourselves wholeheartedly. Again, you're going to commit yourself to something, right? And, and perhaps you should be very, very mindful of what it is that you're giving yourself to. And I'm suggesting the only thing worthy of, of your complete commitment is the Lord God, Now, now, why would I say that? What makes your spiritual commitment more important than your commitment to your family or your commitment to your sports or your commitment to having a nice time? I mean, what makes this commitment to God so, so primary? And the answer is simple. Your commitment, your total commitment to God, this isn't like something that just comes out of thin air. This is actually an answer. It's a response. You must commit yourself totally to God in response to his total commitment to you. You see, he's already totally committed himself to you. That came first. That came before you were born. 
God knit you together in your mother's belly and he dreamed the entire dream of your life. And in the dream of your life, God planned so many blessings. He planned to give you so many good things. You can't even ask for or imagine all the good things God has in store for you. He loves you. He's totally committed to you. There will never be a moment in your life when you start to pray and God's not already listening. It's not that he just turns on when you turn toward him. No, no, no. He is already listening. It's not like sometimes he sees you, sometimes he doesn't. You will never be out from under his watchful eye. And it's not like, you know, like sometimes you need him so you call on him and then he's there. No, he's already there. There'll never be a moment in your life where you will find yourself, you know, forsaken by God. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. He is totally committed to you. He makes promises and he does not break his promises. This is the whole point of Deuteronomy chapter 6. I'm taking you into the promised land, he says, the land of promise. And the promise actually was a promise to the ancestors, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. All those dudes are dead, y'all. All those dudes are dead. But the point is God made a promise, and God honors that promise. It did not expire with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Still keeping his promises. God will always, always keep all his promises to you. So when I say your total commitment to God is a response to his total commitment to you, it's the truth. He's totally committed to you. He shows you what commitment is. He shows you what commitment looks like. And because he's already promised never to leave you, never to forsake you, he's never gonna let you down, that means everything else you promise, you can count on him. That's why his promise, his faithfulness becomes the ground on which you stand. Any commitment you make, any promise you make, man, it is God's faithfulness which gives you the strength to do that. Everything, everything is based upon God's commitment to you. That's why your commitment to him matters. That's why that commitment is the primary commitment. It's why you're supposed to love him more. Give him everything because if you don't give him everything, whatever you hold for yourself, you're going to ruin it. Give him everything because he's going to take it all and he's just going to be good to you. You must commit yourself totally to God in response to his total commitment to you. Now understand something. God's commitment to you is unilateral and unconditional. Now what do I, this is kind of a, this is a really good vocabulary word here. What is unilateral? What's it mean? Unilateral. Uh, breaking in parts. That prefix uni means like what? Like I, I ride a unicycle. I do. I ride a like nerd alert. I ride a unicycle. That, that does sound nerdy when I say it. Um, unicycle is like what? Like one wheel. So uni means one. So lateral means side, right? So God's commitment to you is one-sided. In other words, he commits everything to you. He promises everything to you. And it's not like he's looking for something back because you don't have anything to give him. You don't have, any, you don't have anything to give God that he didn't give you. It's like when I was a kid and I would buy my mama a Christmas present with the money she gave me. You know? It's like if you'd have given me more, you got something better. I mean, you know, I'm not giving you anything that you didn't give me. And your whole life with God is like that. You can't give him anything he didn't give you. So it's not like God's getting something out of this. It's, it's unilateral. It's unconditional. It's like, well, I will love you if... 
I will bless you if God just blesses you. You don't understand this? He's just blessing you. And there's nothing that you can give him back. I mean, every breath in your lung, I mean, that, that breath you just took, and the next one, man, it, it, you don't even have to think about breathing, do you? It's just, he just continues to give you the breath of life. That heartbeat, you know, that one, and that one, and that one, you know? I don't have to work on that. I don't have to, like, think, beat, heartbeat, you know? It's it, it just, he, he gives me life, and every heartbeat is a gift from him, and Man, that sunshine today is just so glorious, brilliant, and blinding, and I love it. And it's a gift from God. Everything is a gift from him. And he just continues to let the rain fall on us, the righteous and the unrighteous. You know, he's just always blessing us. Now, what's in it for him? Because, see, that's the way we make commitments. You don't make a kind of, I don't know you, but my hunch is if you're like me, we don't make a lot of commitments that don't involve something for us. That's why we don't make a lot of unilateral commitments. In other words, you know, I'll make a commitment to you, but I, I, I'll, I'll meet you halfway. It's going to be 50-50. You know, I'll show up if you show up. I'll do this if you do that. You know, this is how we make commitments. It's always like, okay, what's in this for me? Because I'm starting to feel like this is a little one-sided. And for us, one-sided is, you know, not the option. We want there to be something for us. What's in it for me? It's conditional. In other words, I will keep my commitment as long as it makes me happy. But remember what I said? That's not how commitments work. It's not about how happy it makes you. You made a commitment. Are you going to keep your commitment or not? Are you the kind of person who can make a promise and keep it even when it hurts? Years ago, there was an old gentleman that lived out in Woodburn. His name was Carlos Bledsoe. Some of you may have known Mr. Carlos. He's a really amazing man. Um, he didn't come to our church. He didn't get out of the house much because Mr. Carlos, um, elderly gentleman, been married to his wife for years, and uh, she was completely bedbound. And I knew that. She was shut in, and he cared for her all the time. So he didn't go many places. He didn't come to church. So I'd go visit him. I visited him a long, long time before I knew his story. His wife was, I guess you called it in a coma. Uh, she didn't open her eyes. She just always looked asleep to me. She looked peaceful, but she just never opened her eyes. She never spoke. And he did everything for her just to care of her. And I loved him for that. I thought he was just a neat, neat man to care for his elderly wife. And One day, we're looking at a picture on the table, and I said, that, that, that must be your son. Is that your son? He said, yeah, well, we have a son. We have one son. And I said, well, how old is he? And he said, I can't always remember. I'm not good at remembering how long it's been. He said, 40, 45, probably 45, probably 45. And he said, well, ever how long she's been like that? And that's what he said. My son is probably 45, you know, as long as she's been like this. And I said, wait, what? He said, oh, yeah. He said, my wife's been like this since our son was born. And I said, what happened? And Mr. Carlos told me, some of y'all know, back in the day, they would put a woman under full anesthesia to have a baby, like knock her out to have a baby. So um, Carlos's wife, they, they put her under anesthesia, which was the practice in that day. But she never woke up. 
She never woke up. So that day, Mr. Carlos took his new baby boy home to raise, and he took his wife home, and the rest of his life was caring for her. She never opened her eyes again. They never had another moment together. He cared for her. I think about Carlos Bledsoe every time I've got a couple about to get married in my office because of those vows, the the commitment that marriage is. Because all brides and grooms make the same promise, right? I promise to love, honor, cherish you in sickness and in health. So you make a promise in the present that you're going to have to keep in the future. And most young people don't have any idea how sick a person can become or how long you could have to care for them. Do you understand what I'm saying? Carlos Bledsoe was an uh, uncommon kind of promise keeper. And most of us don't have a lot of that in us. When it is no longer pleasing for me I'll be done with you. If you don't make me happy, if this commitment doesn't turn out like I thought, you know, then I can walk away. This is just simply the way the world we live in operates. And it's not getting better, it's getting worse is what I'm trying to say. People are less and less likely to make commitments at all. And then if they make a commitment, they don't really seem to have the kind of character required to keep a promise even when it hurts. I'm just reminding you that God's commitment to you is unilateral and unconditional. There's nothing in this for him. You don't have anything to give him that he doesn't already have, and so God's commitment is completely one-sided. It blesses him to bless you. He is delighted in his own heart when he can delight your heart. God just wants to bless you because this is just the way he is. Now, one other thing. God's obligation to you is freely chosen. I say obligation. It's a commitment obligates you, and, and, and once you make a commitment, you're stuck. And I'm not saying God is stuck. I'm not saying that at all. I'm saying that God has obligated himself to us, but that's his free choice. I'm reminding you of this because you can't start thinking you deserve something from him. You, you can't go through your life thinking that somehow you're entitled to all the good things that God gives. You know, so the people out there say, man, I'm, sorry, I'm mad at God, Pastor Tim, I don't come to church because I'm mad at God. It's like, what, what could God have ever done to turn you away from him? He's only given you good things. He took my grandma. My grandma died. He took my grandma. How old was she? She's 120, and he took her. Let the old girl go. I mean, you know, she's 120, and he gave you a wonderful grandmother. Do you know how many people never have a, a good grandmother? You were blessed with her. How do you somehow blame him for everything that goes wrong and never give him thanks for all of the things he's done for you? I mean, Deuteronomy walks you right through it. You're going to live in a city you didn't build. You're going to live in a house you didn't have to build. You're going to be blessed with things you don't have to produce. 
And when you find yourself in that situation, don't you dare forget the Lord your God. Don't you dare forget where all this comes from. And don't you dare forget that you didn't work for this. You didn't deserve this. He just blesses you. It's the amazing thing about the heart of God. He just freely chooses to be faithful to us. We're not entitled to it. He doesn't owe it to us. He doesn't owe you anything. But he just continues to bless you. It is his nature. It is his choice. Now, one more thing, and I'll be done. It's it's the commandment in verse 5. It's considered the greatest commandment, which means like there are commandments, and then there is the commandment, and this is the commandment. The commandment, the great commandment. It's right here in verse 5. And that commandment is interesting to me because it says, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul. You must love. Thou shalt love. Now, does it work that way? Can you command somebody to love you? Because if, if some of you guys, if y'all could command somebody to love you, you'd be dating a cheerleader right now. I mean, if you could just say, love me, you know, you'd have a girlfriend. You don't. Because that's not how it works. I mean, you can't command somebody, just love me. Thou shalt love me. That's not how love works for us, is it? You gotta fall in love. You gotta feel something. You can't command me to feel something for you. I may feel it, I may not feel it, or I may feel it and then quit feeling it. I mean, this is how we think of love, right? You can't control feelings, and love's a feeling in our minds. You fall in, you fall out. The greatest commandment in all scripture, that's what Jesus says the great commandment is this one Thou shalt love the Lord your God. Do you understand? that that's the option, like, like that's the choice that you must make. I want you to understand, and I'm, af- I'm afraid I can't say it clearly, but, but to love God is the choice. Are you going to love him or not? That's what we're talking about. Now, the commitment that comes on the other side of that, that just flows naturally out of the love that you have for the Lord. Are you going to love him? Because that's the question. I'm not talking about, yeah, are you going to come to church? You know, are you going to serve the Lord? No, that's not even the question. The question is, do you love him? Do you love him? With your whole heart? Which means you're going to love him above everything else. Like if you give your whole heart to the Lord, there's no heart left over for the titans. You're going to love him with your whole heart. You're going to love him with your whole mind. That means all your best thoughts are going toward him, all your strength. I mean, are you going to love Because that's, that's, that's the choice you're making. And once you have decided that you will love him, that you will put your whole self in this relationship with the God who loves you, once you have settled that, the commitment part flows. I've given my heart to him out of love, then there's nothing else I'll withhold. I'm his. He's mine. The choice is to love. Commitment is what comes on the other side of that. But I know. Um, these days, commitments become a bad word. Um, people don't want to feel obligated. Even at church, they don't want to feel stuck. They don't want to feel like all their Sundays are tied up, you know. You may need to do something. I get it. I do. 
I'm just saying that if you really want satisfaction in your spiritual life, if, if you want anything out of anything in life, maybe you're going to have to put your whole self in. Can't keep putting one hand in and taking one hand out and thinking that somehow that's going to bring you the good things that you desire. Maybe, maybe friends, commitment is really what it's all about. You pray with me?